I am the junior high guy here, which is, I'm super excited to be speaking to adults finally. No poop stories, actually, I, I, do, have, I do have one today, I'll be honest with you. Uh, hey, uh, yeah, my name is Matt. They call me Shishi. It's a long story. Uh, my last name is Franny. I guess if you're in sixth grade and have like speech problems, it's difficult to say. So years ago, it got turned into CC, which Travis, the high school pastor, turned it into Shishi. And years ago, I had a uh, little Japanese student come over to me, a little sixth grader. She's really cute. She's like, uh... Mr. Shishi, uh, do, you, do you know what Shishi means in Japanese? I was like, no, it's like a nickname. She's like, it means pee-pee. And I was like, frick. I was like, oh my gosh. So that's my nickname. You're welcome to call me. Everyone knows me. You probably didn't even know I, that my name was Matt. Everyone goes, oh, Shishi, you know, for sure. Hey, uh, before we jump into uh, what we're talking about today, will you guys pray with me? Let's pray. God, I just thank you. Um, Father, I just thank you for um, our stories and as they align with your story. Father, I just ask that, that I do share a little bit of my story and, um, God, how you've brought me through some things, that the pain, God, that is in my life and through my story, um, be a platform for these people to experience peace. So, Father, I just ask that your spirit be here, that it lead us, that it guide us, that every word that comes from my mouth be one from you. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, so, uh, so, like I said, super amped to be here. Uh, like, I normally speak to junior high kids, and it's just, you can't, you can't, like, you just... You're just, you're so low with them. And you can't like teach them really anything, I feel like, you know? You can, but it's like learning to like spell their name. I mean, that's where like, I feel like I'm like, your name is Matt. Spell it like this, you know? So super amped uh, to be here with you guys. I want to do a few things today, at least two things. And the first thing is I want to do is I want to take a journey through a passage of scripture that is, this meant a lot to me and it's kind of spoken to me at some pretty difficult times in my, my life. And then the second thing I really want to do is kind of teach you this fundamental truth to the human ex- existence or the, the human uh, condition, I guess I would say. And this, this truth is this that the decisions you lead lead you to a destination. And you're smart people, right? Like, you get that. The decisions that you make daily lead to big destinations, right? And, and you, you're, like, you're smart. You get this idea. But oftentimes, I think we, we really neglect this truth when it comes to the little decisions in our lives. Let me, let me just kind of maybe, uh, like, give you an illustration or a story. So uh, 2010, 2009, 2009 or 10, I was a junior at Cypress High School. And uh, my buddy Jeremy comes to me, he goes, hey, you guys want to go to Havasu this weekend with me? I was like, heck yeah, I want to go to Havasu with you this weekend. He's like, I'm like, who's going? He's like, oh, dude, I got a cabin up there or a house, whatever it is. Um, and we're inviting all the friends. And I was like, dude, it's going to be a party. I'm super amped. I was like, your parents going? He's like, yeah. I was like, bummer. But uh, so, so we, get, like, we get over to his house Friday morning and uh, I've never learned to wakeboard. So we were going to do that, which I was pretty amped about. And so uh, we get there and uh, we get in this car. We're driving over to, uh, to Havasu. And just between like California and Arizona, that's where Havasu is, right? Good. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm still a junior higher. Um, so we're, we're making our way over to Arizona. I guess just in Arizona, they have this like really famous like Mexican spot. And they have these California burritos in Arizona. Which, but anyways, they are like phenomenal. And they're like the size of newborn babies. I mean, these things are intense, right? Like you need like a shovel, right? To eat these things, they're intense. So I order one of these things. They come up to like $25. I was like, oh my gosh, right? My buddy Steve orders three of these things. Now, like things are like four pounds. I mean, they're huge. They are humongous, right? Now, I barely finish half this thing, right? My buddy Steve at this time is probably five, seven and a half, 300 and five, seven and a half, right? He's a big dude. I mean, like he can, he's throwing these things down like Pringles, right? He's, this is, this is cakewalk for him. So I'm like, oh my gosh, right? I'm like, oh, like the meat sweats. I feel like a glazed donut. And he's just pounding these things, right? And so... So, <laughs> just got the picture of a I don't know. All right, uh, so, so right after that, we jet straight to the lake. And so we get to the lake, and, uh, and I, we're, we jump in the boat. We're getting ready. My buddy Jeremy goes. Then Michael goes wakeboarding, and then I'm in. So I jump in, right? I'm paddling over to the, uh, to the board, right? And it's like my first time I'm trying to figure out how to get this thing. I feel like a turtle on my back, right? Trying to figure out how to get the board going, and I'm trying to, like, swim over awkwardly to the rope, right? 
about this time I see Steve going, oh gosh, like, oh, do, do, do. and he's like, look up at the sky, like speaking in tongues. He's like, oh Lord, oh Lord, right? And I'm like, Steve, Steve, what's going on? He's like, dude, the burritos, the burritos, dude, they turned into something. I'm like, yeah, you idiot. Like, so he's running back and forth and all of a sudden I'm like, dude, what are you going to do? And he's like sweating, he's worried about it. All of a sudden I see him swan dive into the water, right? And I'm like, this is going down, right? I'm like, yes, right? So he's, he, he's, he's, he's swimming, right? And all of a sudden I kind of just see, I can just see his head, but I kind of see his shoulders, right? And I just see him like, and he's like, like, like a dog, right? He's dog paddling. And all of a sudden it's like, behind him, right? And I'm like, yes, this is the greatest moment of my life, right? And he just keeps going, keeps going, right? And uh, little did I know, because I'm thinking, I'm, I'm hysteric, laughing. people in the boat are losing it, right? Uh, little did I know that there was a boat that drove by with a wake that kind of kicked it up towards me. You can probably see where this is going. Uh, so I'm like, oh crap, right? <laughs> Pun intended. And uh, so it's, it's, it's drifting towards me, and Steve's laughing. He's pushing it, right? He's pushing it towards me. I'm like, Steve, get your fool. Well, you better get in the boat, bro. So he like, he's like laughing, swims back to the boat. Looks like a beach otter when he falls onto the boat, right? And uh, they start the boat, they gun it, and they, t- they pull me right through it, right? So I stand up on it, and there is, I swear to you not, just a turd chilling on this life vest. I was like, no, right? It's like, oh my, I was like, boom, just hit the water, right? Like, like sanitizing myself, right, with this water. So throughout that story, right, there were some, there some things that probably you saw, or at least that you, that you heard, where there's probably moments when you're like, all right, your buddy's being pretty unwise, right? Like, let me give you one. Like, so you're like, all right, bro, he had three, like, newborn pound babies, like, burritos, right? Like, that's an unwise thing to do, right? No one needs to eat those things, like, that much food ever, right? And he's, he's seasoned, right? Like, that wasn't even that much food for him until he got on a rocking boat. Or maybe the second thing was you're like, all right, it was pretty unwise for him to eat all that than go on a rocking boat. Or maybe you're like, all right, I made the unwise decision, knowing he ate that much, placing myself on that boat in that situation. Now, tonight, like I said a little bit earlier, Really what I want to accomplish with our time together is kind of journey through really what are some wise decisions that we can make. And more so, I want to kind of share my story with you as Ryan was kind of sharing. I want to kind of show you two worldviews. And a worldview, for those of you guys that may not know, Cody often talks about them, is a, a, an orientation to the world around you. Think of it as the glasses, uh, the lens in which you view all things. It's where we get our morality, our meaning, our purpose, our origin, our destiny, the big life questions in our lives. Like, where are we from? Where are we going? Why am I here? And what is right? What is wrong? And so a worldview, right, remembers the way in which you view the world, the orientation that you have to the world around you. And so today, here's what I want to do. I want to kind of just journey through my story, and I want to show it from a, it's called monotheism, it's Christianity, and I want to show you from a naturalism perspective and, and examine the same story. Now, naturalism or scientism, or you may know it as atheism, most of my family are atheists. And, uh, and you'll see a little bit of that through my story and the way that they handle the situation uh, that we were both going through. So here's the reality. When we talk about decisions, there's this general fundamental truth, and I said it a little bit earlier. When we talk about the decisions that you make, this fundamental understanding that we need to have is this, that your decisions lead you to a destination. Your decisions are leading you to become someone ultimately. And see, here's the reality. Well, let me give you an illustration first. So imagine that you are in a car, right? And you, like you, can, you can imagine this, right? You're, you're turning right, it leads you to this destination. You turn left, it leads you to that destination. Now, as obvious as that principle is when it applies to geography, the same principle applies in really all areas of our lives. When it comes to the friends that you're going to choose, right? You get to make that decision. Who you're going to call homies, right? Who you're going to kick it with, that's a decision you get to make. And ultimately, that decision can lead you to a good destination or a bad destination. Or maybe even how far you're going to go physically in a relationship. That can lead you to a good destination or a bad destination. Every decision you make, should I go to that party and get drunk, right? Should I um, do something dishonest to get ahead? Should I, 
look at this on my computer or phone and get addicted to it, right? Every decision you make leads you to a destination. The big, big, big question we're asking today is where are your decisions leading you? Where are your decisions leading you? They're leading you to become somebody. They're leading you to a certain place. January uh, 11th, 2015, was a Sunday night. Um, I, uh, I, after Young Adults, um, I, which is kind of weird that I'm speaking at Young Adults today, um, I, uh, I go to In-N-Out with everybody, and we're like eating double-doubles, whatever, it is. and uh, I decide to come home. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I drive home, and uh, I get to the, my front door, open the door, and my mom comes running out. She's like, I'm really concerned about your dad. And I was like, all right, like, what's going on? Like, you know, what's going on? And she's like, he's not feeling well, and he's, I've never seen him like this. Like, he, he's really well. Now, a little thing you need to know about my story is my dad was an alcoholic growing up. So my, my, my childhood is littered with stories of him just kind of being passed out drunk, being sick, not showing up to things, doing things like that. And I don't tell you that to belittle my dad. My dad was a great dad. But I just want to be authentic and genuine and share part of my story with you. So um, I'm like, okay, well, where is he? He's like, well, he's, he's asleep. So I'm like, okay, like, okay, I'm just thinking, you know, it's a normal occurrence, right? Dad isn't feeling that well. Go to bed. I wake up throughout the middle of the night about five or six times, and my dad is throwing up. I hear him, I hear him in the bathroom throwing up. So I'm like, all right, he's food poisoning. You know, he, he, he's, he has the flu, something along those lines. Wake up the next morning. It's January 12th, 2015. I head into uh, my office over here, and, and I'm, I'm I get ready. It's like 8.30 in the morning. I'm walking up to my office, and I, I notice that, darn it, I left my, my, left my, uh, my charger to my um, computer in my, off, in, my, in my house. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to go home and grab it. So as I'm kind of leaving, um, I'm approaching the stairwell, and uh, one of my coworkers comes up. Her name's Denise. She works here. She works in our finance department. And I said, hey, Denise, how was your Christmas? It's been a while. You're on vacation. Like, how was it? And she said, man, I got one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. And I was like, what was the gift? And she said, I got mustard seeds. And I was like, Bummer. You know, I was like, that doesn't sound like a good gift, you know? And I'm like, but like the Bible verse? And she's like, yeah, like, you know, like Mark chapter 4 and like Matthew 17, right? If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say from this mountain to move, and it'll move. And now it's not obviously talking about a literal mountain, right? Don't go to Mount Everest and be like, move, and it's not going to work, right? What it's communicating is that there's some mountains in our lives, mountains of addictions, mountains of certain belief systems, or whatever it is, that in Jesus' name, we have the power via the Holy Spirit to move. And so I'm like, that's one actually one of my favorite verses. And she just kind of looks at me and says, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like. I feel like I need to give one to you, and I actually brought an extra one today. So this is the little mustard seed she gave me. It's a little jar. You can't see it because it's super small, but it's a little mustard seed. I place it there. So I get home. Um, I put it in my pocket. I, I run downstairs. As I, as I open my door to my house, um, my mom is, is running around frantically singing, your dad, your dad, we need to take your dad to the hospital. Like, like, like something's wrong. Something's wrong. And I'm like, like okay, mom, like, mom, what's going on? And he's dying. He said he's dying. And I'm like, what? Like, and and. I walked over and I said, what's going on? And she says, your dad, he says he's dying. And I was like, mom, I said, I just pulled this out of my pocket. And I said, I have no idea what this means, but I just got this like moments ago. I placed it in her hand. I said, we just need to trust God. My mom and I are the only Christians in our household. I walked down the hall and I've never seen my dad like this. I opened his door and he's, he's pale. He's Casper white. He's on his bed trying to just do a, a sit up to, to put his clothes on to, to go to the hospital. I said, Dad, Dad, what's going on, you know? And he just looked at me and said, I feel like I'm dying. And he was saying in such a weak, brittle voice that it's like a voice that I've never heard my dad. Like you maybe have some views of your dad, right? He's, he, if, you have, if you have a dad, if he's a, if he's a good dad, he's, like, he's strong, he, you know, he's masculine or whatever it is, and that was not the picture I was seeing. He was weak and brittle and frail. Dad, what's, what's going on? I had too much to drink last night. The anger that went through my body, I looked at him and, and I was like, whatever happens is your fault. And I said, how dare you? I was just fed up, to be honest. I mean, I was, I was like, this is, my, this, is, this, is my, this is the journey of my life. 
Day after day, week after week, coming home to a dad that's just passed out on the couch. I, I help him get his clothes on. I put him under my shoulder, and he's going down the hall, just, just bumping into door to door, wall to wall. Finally, we get him out to the front yard, and my mom, by this time, has pulled uh, her car around and opened the door. And so I, I set him in the seat, and uh, my mom goes, hey, put a seatbelt on. He can't do it. My dad was too weak to put a seatbelt on. I said, he can do it. And I shut the door, and they drove off. I go back in the house, grab my charger, come back to work. Ironically, I'm working like on a sermon or something. <laughs> and I get to my office, and, and later that night, young adults had like a, we went to Roscoe's or something, which is pretty odd. And uh, so we get to Roscoe's, and I get a phone call from my mom, thinking, you know, I don't know what's going on. Hey, uh, dad was in surgery. I'm like, okay, what happened? Well, because your dad has been an alcoholic for about 50 years, um, his, the tissue in his esophagus has been eroded by the acid and alcohol. So what does that mean? Well, it means that he's been internally bleeding for the last 24 hours. So what does that mean? It means that he had to be rusted in the surgery, they had to open him up, and they had to, orthoscopically, they had to repair his esophagus tissue so it would stop the bleeding. How much blood did he, did he lose? I heard him throwing up all night. I didn't know then, what I know now is that my, the entire time my dad was throwing up, he was throwing up buckets of blood, and he didn't tell anybody. Okay, so what's the surgery? Uh, how'd it go? The doctors actually said it went really well, so I'm really happy about that. Like they said, they, they repaired it, um, he's gonna be all right. They have him in an incubated coma right now so he doesn't move and rip the stitches. Okay, great. Um, hey, I'll call you tomorrow um, before we can grab lunch. Thanks, Mom. Awesome, bye. Tuesday. Um, this is uh, Tuesday, January 13th. Um, I, uh, I'm in my office getting ready for junior, Tuesday junior high service, and, and I, uh, I get a phone call from my mom around 11.30 noon. Pick up the phone, I'm thinking, hey, dad's out, we're going to, you know, Roscoe's, I don't know, we're going somewhere, and, uh, and uh, we're going to have lunch. So I'm like, great. So I pick up my phone, and I hear, I hear my mom's voice, and it was just, again, that frail voice. It was, she just said, Matt. I said, mom? And she said, weeping, they're saying he's not going to make it. And I was like, it was like the walls of my office were like closing in and suffocating me. I was like, what? He always makes it. Like, what do you mean? He's not going to, like... Superman doesn't die. My dad's invincible. Right? Like, what, what do you mean? Like, this can't be happening. About that time, uh, Kyle Kurtz, who works here, he, he overheard me talking to my mom, and he's like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, I just looked at him in shock. And I didn't even, like, I just said, my dad's dying. And he looked at me, he's like, go, like, go. And I'm like, so I got up and ran down the stairs, got into my car, and picked up my sister, and we just floored it to the hospital. Weird enough that as we're, we're driving to the hospital, we, we passed three funerals. So one that we had actually had to stop on the side, and they had to go by us. And I was like, this is, this is weird, you know. I get to the hospital. I run straight to my dad's room. I don't even look at my dad. I go straight to my mom and say, do you have the mustard seed? I have one thought plaguing my mind. My dad does not know the Lord. I grab the mustard seed from her, this exact one. I place it in my dad's hand and I, I just clench his fist around it. And I, I just say, I begin to kind of my mind is plagued by a few different things. Number one, it's plagued by the fact that I've had so many different opportunities to tell him. I've had, I've had countless opportunities. I've had countless, not just to tell him, but to show him, to serve him, to love him in ways that I felt that I didn't. So I, uh, I just began to tell him about who Jesus was. And I've done that before, but not in a way like this. This was bold. This was courageous. This was like, I don't care about your opinion. You know, my dad was in a coma, actually, so he, he wasn't awake. Not just an incubated coma. Now he was on life support. 
I told him about John 14, 6, is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for me. It's a very exclusive statement. I tell him about in Acts 4, 12, it says that, that, that there's no name under heaven which men can be saved than other than the name of Jesus Christ. I tell him about Matthew 7, where it says that wide is the gate that leads to destruction, narrow is the one that leads to life. I tell him about Matthew 17, 20, that takes the faith of a mustard seed, this small dad, for this mountain of disbelief to be moved. Dad, if these are your final moments, I'm just looking at them. You need to come to know Christ. I'm plagued with a few different things. I'm plagued with the idea that my dad doesn't know the Lord. I'm plagued with the last words, that my, the last action words that I gave to my dad. Were pretty, they're pretty mean. I run to a doctor and I, uh, I say, what's going on? Can you give me some, like, you know, some data? What's going on with him? And he said that his, his body is shut down. His organs have shut down. His, his, his heart is shutting down. His lungs don't work. His, all of his organs are beginning to shut down. I said, do you have a chapel? Yeah, so I, I walked into the chapel and I just broke down. I got my hands on my knees and I just started weeping. I was desperate for a sign. I was like, Lord, like, he doesn't know you. I'm thinking that, you know, the thief on the cross next to Jesus in his final moments came to put his faith in Jesus as well or him as well. I'm praying for that moment. I'm praying that in some subconscious part of my dad that he is having this conversation, thinking about these types of things. So around this time, my older sister comes in. Uh, I have an older sister. She, her name's Rachel. She's my half-sister. And she's a very, very militant atheist. She comes running into the door, and, and she crawls into bed with my dad. And she begins to play the songs that my dad sang to her when she was a baby. And this was the most painful thing for me to see. She was laying in his bed, rubbing on his chest as it was mechanically going up and down, just weeping, like belting, yelling, don't leave me, don't go. I was sitting there, and I was like, this is, this is so painful to watch. She has no hope as an atheist. She has no anchoring for her soul, no anchoring for reality and for hope and for peace. To be honest with you, my sister, my oldest sister, and I don't really get along that well, um, and I hope to change that, but watching her even go through that type of pain is the type of pain I wish on no one. See, she, right after that, she... she she got off the bed, and she ran over to me, and she says, what happens when he dies? What does the Bible say? And then she ran over to a doctor and asked, what, what do you think? And two nurses, and then she, she went on, the, on her phone and started looking at what other world religions say about what happens when your heart stops, trying to, trying to anchor her something on something, desperately trying to cling to something as her world deteriorates. We have one shared reality, and everyone in this room has it. Everyone that's ever lived has it. We all live in a post-Eden world where sin, which is ultimately the rejection of God, who is the source and creator of all life, and because sin has infected us, and because sin is a rejection of that source, we stand condemned to die because we are disconnected from our creator and our source of life. And that is why God hates sin. Every philosophical worldview, every, every ideology, every faith system tries to tries to explain the error in the human condition, tries to explain the error in this world, which is this. Why do people suffer? Why do people, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people die? Why do their hearts stop? Why is there abuse? Why is there things like rape? Why? See, the true test of your worldview is this. It's how does it deal with the inescapable, unavoidable, shared reality that is that we will all die. Around this time, my sister looks at me as she crawls back into bed with my dad and says, where is your God now? 
She says, I told you he was a crutch. And, and all I said was, amen. I said, that's why I can stand here now. And then I asked her a question. I said, as your world fades away around you, where is your anchor? That night, I decided to sleep on the floor next to my dad's bed. I was woken up around 3 in the morning um, to flashing lights and uh, uh, sirens. My dad was coding, and so they came running in. I was just from, the, from my eyes, I could see people running in, and so I didn't know what to do. So I just flipped open my Bible, and ironically, I fell upon the page that has the parable of the mustard seed, Mark chapter 4. My eyes don't stay there. They gaze right below, and where it's a really interesting story that Jesus calms the storm. It's found in the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35. Let me, uh, let me read it for us. I don't know if it'll be up behind us, but follow along. It says, The day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Now remind me that I'm reading this as they're doing compressions on my dad. I didn't know what to do. Let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in, in the boat. There are also other boats. This is the interesting part. A furious squall came up, a storm, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. Sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? God, do you see what's going on in my life? I've faithfully followed you. I've worked at a church. I do good. Like, what, why, why am I going through this? Why is my dad dying and I can't do anything about it? Do you hear me? My, I go to the next verse. The disciples woke and said to him, I'm sorry, he got, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. About that time, my dad started to stable, become stable, and I just had this lightning bolt go through my mind. And it was this, that peace doesn't come from having calm seas. It comes from having Jesus in your boat. Peace doesn't come from having calm seas comes from having Jesus, the creator of all things. In John 1, we read that. Having him in your boat. Having him in your heart, anchoring your soul. Because sin, because we live in a world where sin has infected us. It has fractured and decayed us in the world around us. It is rotting away in us in the world because, and that, because our, our, our life, because of sin, is full of uncertainties. Sin has rocked our boat and it will never be calm again until Jesus comes back. So around that time, like I said, my dad began to come stable. And I woke in the morning on the 14th of January, it was a Wednesday, to the doctor saying this, I'm surprised he made it through the night. I was like, that's not what I want to hear. And so I fast forward a little bit, and I, uh, I go back into the chapel, which is where my mom finds me. And uh, she says, hey, the doctor doesn't want to speak to us. It's okay, I walked over. And he says that we flashed a flashlight over his eyes, and uh, his eyes didn't dilate, didn't, his pupils didn't move. Okay, what does, what does that mean? It means that, that his autonomic system has, has decayed, it's died. What does that mean? It means that his brain is totally, he's brain dead now. Your, your dad is not there anymore. So what are our options? Well, you can keep him on life support because that's what he's on now, and, and we're pretty good at sustaining life the way that it is, hyperbolic suspension, but the way that it is for a pretty long time. He could be like this for a month. Or you can uh, begin to turn off the machines. You can begin to take the machines offline, the ones that are keeping them alive, and he'll pass within maybe a few hours. My mom says, I want you to make the decision. 
And I was like, Phew. so I go to the doctor with much prayer, and I say, you can begin to turn off the machines. We just, the most bizarre moment is just us standing around my dad as they begin to turn off the machines, take the IV out, as they pull out this tube that's inflating his lungs. I have my hand on his hand with his hand on this mustard seed. And we're just looking at the heart monitor that's showing his heartbeat very slow. And we're just waiting for it to flatline, which is the most bizarre moment of my life. I'm sitting there. I'm, st I'm, st I'm still preaching to him. And he passes away. He passed away on January 14th at 1.11. You know, I, uh, I was contemplating on sharing this part of the story with you. But I'm, I feel like God wants me to share it with you, so I'm going to share it. My dad passes away at 111 in room 111. That's not that weird, but it gets a lot weirder. The hospital address is 1111, which happens to my parents' anniversary. He got sick on January 11th, 111. Life verse of mine is Hebrews 11.1, which is now in faith, or now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. I hope that my dad came to know the Lord. An assurance about what we do not see. I've never seen my dad didn't wake up, and that's what I was praying for, a moment for him, to, a clarity for him to wake up and me to tell him. A month ago, while I was thinking about what I wanted to say to you guys, it was the 7th of, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was the 3rd of July. Uh, Cody came to me and said, you know, when you speak to young adults, I was like, oh, I'll share my story. I'm with my wife, um, and we're at a restaurant, and I'm, Thinking about, you know, I'm just thinking about my dad. I haven't thought about the story in a while. And I'm thinking about it, kind of contemplating the stories of things going on. And uh, it's kind of still haunted with the reality, you know? Like my dad didn't make a public declaration of his faith. And so I, uh, I'm like, Lord, I just, that's, a, that's a difficult reality. Someone you love spends eternity away from you and from God. And I was thinking about that. My mom calls me as we leave the restaurant. She goes, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, you're not going to believe what I have in my hands right now. I said, what do you have in your hands right now? She goes, it's the receipt from the bill that our insurance paid for your dad while he was in the hospital for a few days. Okay, what's so unbelievable about that? She said, it came out to $111,000. I was like, oh, God. I'm like, What? Not just that, actually, it came out to $111,073, which was the 3rd of July. I was like, are you saying something? <laughs> I was like, you know, you know, people often ask, do you believe your dad's in heaven? I'm not the most charismatic type of person. I take pretty, like, I'm pretty systematic in my approach to God. And so people often ask me, do you believe your dad's in heaven? via these types of signs, things along those lines. And I say that regardless of those things, the God that we worship, the God that we worship, is a God that's all loving. It's perfect. He's holy, but he's also just. And all of these, the theological term is simplicity. They work together in harmony. One is not way, one doesn't weigh more than the other, I guess you would say. So people often ask, do you believe your dad's in heaven? I go, with these signs, then Yes. But it's not just that. I believe that the God that we worship, with the characteristics that I just laid out, 
is perfect. And my dad got exactly what the perfect, all-knowing, all-loving God deemed worthy. And that's what I rest in. The most painful thing for me, to be honest with you, is not that my dad died. It's the way that he lived. As Christians, we get to experience a different type of world, different type of way that we live. John 10.10, it says that Christ gave to give us an abundant life, life abundantly. A week before my dad passed away, he came to me, sat me down in our back room, and we'll wrap up with this. He said, I'm miserable. I said, what's, what's going on? He began to tell me how depressed he was, how lost of purpose, how he just felt like his life had no reasons, that his heart didn't have a reason to beat, and that he just wanted his life to be over. An atheist. There was no hope, no reason for their existence. Now you ask, why do I share all this with you? Because my dad made a series of decisions, and those decisions led him to a destination. You two are making decisions, and they're leading you to a destination. I'm not saying your decisions are as, as intense as my dad, but a series of small decisions of drinking every single day led him to a certain destination and have a certain relationship with him. The most important decision you can ever make in your life is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. There are three types of people in this room. Number one, you're a Christian. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. My challenge for you is this. Don't go by another hour or second with loved ones who don't know him. It's a haunting reality. I tell you that from my story. If you had the cure for cancer, regardless of how absurd the solution was or the cure, you'd be telling anyone and everyone you love. The second group of person, you don't care to know God. You're like my dad. You're an atheist. You're an agnostic. My challenge for you is to give him a chance. You've been on the opposite side of that belief, where someone has judged you without ever knowing you. And that sucks. My challenge for you is this, to say, Lord, if you're real, show me. Lead me to you. Last group of person, last type of person, is you think you know God, but you don't. You think you know God, but you don't. First, you're a Christian. Second, you don't care to know God. Third, you think you know God, but you don't. There's a haunting scripture in the book of Matthew that says that there will be people that come to Jesus after they die and will say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name? Do we not cast out demons? Do we not do all these things for you? And Jesus will look at him and say, you didn't do that for me. You didn't go to Compton for me. You didn't go on that missions trip for me. You didn't tithe for me. You tithe for self-glorification. I never knew you to part from me. For most of my life, I was there. One on this. Christians, we have, a, we have a hope that can't be taken from us. We have a peace that, that can't be shaken. Because we have a God who has entered into our human equation, has taken on human suffering so he can be our counselor who can sympathize and care for us. Tonight, don't miss your opportunity to receive that help. Let me pray for us. Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for Jesus, for the beautiful death that he had so that we could have his incredible life. Although his death was gruesome, it allowed us access to live this life abundantly in you, where your spirit fills us and helps us conquer addiction, helps us live a, a better life, so, Father, today I ask that you convict. You convict the people in this room, God, that are far from you. That third type of person who says they know you, but they're distant. Their lifestyle is not matching up with their belief or proclamation. I ask, Father God, that you come near them and you help them repent, which is to change their mind, to do a 180. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.